Listening to Real Talk SLP with your host, Felice Clark, the Deviling Speechy. This is a show to help speech pathologists navigate the SLP world with real life stories to celebrate therapy successes and how to persevere when failure comes knocking on your door. Hey, 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 Rockstar SLPs, how are we doing? I think some of you are probably back in school already, and some of you uh, East Coasters are, are relishing in the last few weeks of summer. I know you all get out in June, and you're dying when you see all of us in May going, school's out, whoop, whoop, and now you get to go, I'm still on summer break, while well, we all transition to the the hectic chaos that happens with the back-to-school season. I don't know about you guys, but back-to-school season is always intense for for a myriad of reasons, but it is just hard at the beginning of the year to get all the moving pieces set up for your caseload in a timely manner. And and there's never a dull moment. You know, even as you become more seasoned and, and with the back to school process as a speech pathologist, there's always something new that gets thrown into the wrench. And, and I love it when they always give you, then they're like, hey guys, we got teacher trainings. So you basically can't do any of your to-do list because these teacher trainings are going to be so invaluable for the start of the school year. There was one a couple of years ago that I went to that was really, really good. But other years I'm like tapping my tapping my fingers going, when can I get out of here so I can actually get my caseload set up? Can anyone relate to that? Can they? <laughs> Anyways, today we're going to be talking about tips for pushing into the general education classroom. I invited Haley Ford to come on to share about her experience with collaborating with a general education teacher and how they set up their co-teaching roles and, and lessons. This is a question I get often is how do you know how do I push into the general education classroom and so I was super excited that Haley agreed to to share her experience and expertise because when we hear from other people it can give us the confidence and inspiration to see where this might be a good fit for some of our students on our caseload and knowing how someone else is doing it and what they learned and what wasn't working and what was working, you can start off with success, right? So I really am excited and grateful that Haley agreed to come on. You're going to love this interview. It's very, very practical and she gives you a lot of great tips. So let's head on over to that interview. <laughs> All right. Welcome, Haley, to the Real Talk SLP podcast. It's great to have you come on and chat about how you are implementing collaborative services in the gen ed classroom. Thank you so much, Felice. It's great to be here. Yeah. So a little backstory. 
Haley left some feedback on one of my push-in resources talking about how she used the activity to do a push-in lesson, or she's been using them to use in the general education classroom doing push-in lessons. And I, when I saw that feedback, I read your guys' feedback and I, it always helps me make better resources for you all. But when I saw that, I was like, I'm going to take a little chance and message her on the feedback to email me. And she totally did. And because the main reason was because I get a lot of questions from SLPs out in the field asking about how to co-teach and do push-in with general education teachers. And so within the last four years, four or five years, I've really only specialized in K2. I've always had self-contained classrooms as my caseload that I've been treating. So I wanted to hear from someone who is implementing gen ed push in right now, because I think it would be really helpful for other SLPs considering doing it as well. And so I convinced Haley to come on the podcast. So welcome. Thank you. Yeah. And why don't you tell everyone about your setting and just some of your experience as a speech pathologist? Absolutely. So I am entering my fourth year as a speech pathologist. I attended undergrad and grad school at Illinois State University. Go Redbirds. I've worked in a Title I school in an urban area since I graduated from grad school in 2018, and I'm located in central Illinois. Over 90% of the students in my building currently are considered low income, so I have a large population of students that are experiencing poverty. And my school itself houses kindergarten through eighth grade. And we have general education classrooms and the special education is provided through an inclusion environment with some having those pullout minutes. But I don't have any self-contained special education classrooms in my building as of right now. My current caseload is only kindergarten through fourth grade. So I don't see every student or every grade in the building, but I do see kindergarten through fourth. And I also work part-time for a private company and I provide private therapy services and early intervention outside of the school day. That's awesome. So every student at your school is in a gen ed classroom. Yes. Yep. Okay. And so do they hire additional staff to su- support students when they're in the classroom or? Yes. So the way that it works is the students are in the gen ed setting all day, but there are special education teachers that depending on what's in their IEP, they will either go into the classroom and do push in just what we're going to talk about today a little bit. Or they do pull-out minutes, so they'll do small groups or individual time with those students. But most of the students are working on just academic skills, and some are working on some SEL skills as well. Very cool. And I bet if Maureen and the Speech Bubble and Natalie Snyders, they're from Illinois, Mm -hmm. they know exactly where you... Because I think they're in central Illinois, too. Yeah. Uh, Yep. Yeah. We did a speech retreat in Illinois, and it was fun. Many a couple of years ago, I don't I don't remember which date it was, but anyway, let's go back on topic. <laughs> so before we jump into all the details about your push-in setup, do you have a song or a song lyric that describes what you hope for in a collaboration with another teacher or educator that's on the IEP team? Okay, Q High School Musical. We're all in this <laughs> together. The collaboration is all about letting each other's expertise shine. And our end goal really between the two of us or the group of us is the same. We're just there to support the students. So if we can find that perfect balance of 
our expertise shining and letting each other have their space, then we really truly can see student growth beyond what we really can achieve in only small group or individual therapy. I love the song choice. So the high school musical was probably outside of my childhood. I just was a, I was a nanny and the kids I nannied were obsessed with high school musical. So I totally know the song Um, (laughs) and it totally sums up what I think co-teaching can really be. And you explained it so well that it really is letting everybody shine if it's done. uh, I don't want to say correctly, but done well between both parties involved. And, And I'd say that leads us to our, my next question for, how did you even get started with pushing into the general education classroom? So my first year that I started at my school, I was really blessed to meet and befriend a veteran kindergarten teacher. She had been in the field for over 15 years, and she also happened to be our inclusion general education teacher, which means that she had the students in kindergarten that had IEPs in her classroom. And we spent a lot of time just talking about the students and we started to brainstorm how powerful a collaboration could be for not only the students with IEPs, but also the other students in the classroom that may be struggling in different areas. But around the same time, I had been eyeing your push-in lessons, the bundle, because I thought it would be perfect to incorporate themed therapy into my small group setting as well. And so I was like, this would be the perfect resource to use for both push-in and my small. And we decided to try it out the following year because by the time we got a game plan together, it was getting close to the end of the school year. But the other blessing in this was that she used her English language arts time in a very rich language-based way already. So it was easy for me to slide right in with my areas of expertise and help dive deeper into those language aspects with the students in the classroom. That's awesome. So it sounds like... You just started really small with building a relationship. And then as time grew with trust between the two of you, you decided to try something bigger and then waited for the right time. And I think that's a good thing to point out that collaboration, we're just ready to dive in. And sometimes we just need to let it marinate a little bit before. Yeah. So I love that you shared that. So My next question, and I think this is something that um, a lot of SLPs, maybe we miss it or we don't know how to do it, but how did you both establish roles and how were you, and how did you plan for your therapy or your co-teaching with the gen ed teacher? Yeah, that's a great question. In my previous experience with the teacher I was doing it with, I collaborated with her and she already had that well-established routine, which I'll go into detail a little bit later. But in that experience, I joined her on Wednesdays, which was when they were beginning to dive into the vocabulary in the book and really looking at the words and things that they weren't familiar. And so I set up small groups for myself and the teacher's aide that was in the classroom. And those were more language-based. And I did use the push-in lessons, the materials from the push-in lessons that you have. And the teacher set up two centers herself so that there was lots of movement for the students to really dive in. And she would do an independent center that was more hands-on with something that's theme-related, such as gingerbread-scented Play-Doh with cookie cutters for the gingerbread lesson. She did pumpkin painting for the pumpkin lesson. And she also had a writing center. And depending on the time during the year slash the students' ability levels, that was how she planned the writing center. But we would sit and discuss the book and theme together and plan our centers 
independently. So I would show her materials that were available in the lesson and we would go through to see what she already had created or had been using for years. And then we would add additional parts that were from the lessons to complement what she was using. And then I would lead one of the language centers during the rotations. And one of the things that I think is important to note is that I did work with my IEP students for a part of that, but I also obviously because of rotation, would work with other students. And so we carefully selected our groups so that I would get my IEP students, but I'd also get students that maybe were struggling with some vocabulary, other language skills that didn't necessarily have an IEP yet, but would give me time to expose them to different things as well as just see if that little extra boost in the classroom could help them. And so that was really helpful for me to see, okay, Do these students maybe need some additional supports that they're not getting right now? But I also would, luckily we had a teacher's aide in the classroom that was able to lead another center and I had her lead a language-based center as well. So that was nice to have different hands to help. But I think overall, it really depends on the teacher's level of open-mindedness to try new things as well as what their routine looks like during that ELI time. We didn't start at the very beginning of the school year because she wanted to get that routine down with her students so that it wasn't so new and odd to them. But overall, she really worked with me and we figured out where I could fit into that routine. But unfortunately, I was only able to go in once a month just because of my current caseload needs. And I felt like supporting in the small group was the best way, especially to start out. But when we sat down to plan, I offered my ideas and supports for her to incorporate on the days that I was unable to join. So, for example, if I was working with a teacher, she did not have this issue, but if I was working with a teacher that wasn't using a schema chart or a picture walk with that book at the beginning of the week, that would be something that I would support that teacher in incorporating just because I think it's so important that we expose the kids in small bits and figure out what do they know and what do they need to know at that point. Totally. And so just to summarize a little bit of what you shared. So it sounds like the teacher does centers. She makes Mm -hmm. four centers. Does she run a center or is she doing more of a floating, like making sure everyone is engaged and then you and the other aide are running a station? A little bit of both, depending on where certain groups were. The independent play center where it was with Play-Doh or some kind of hands-on item, she let them do their own thing. The writing center, it depended on that group. So if that group happened to be a stronger group that didn't necessarily need the support from her, she would be more of a floater and almost making sure that behaviors were in check and that everyone was staying on task. But if that writing group needed the extra support from her, she would be with that. And then it sounds like everyone would rotate between all four stations. Yes. Yep. Yep. That's how I set things up for the self-contained classrooms because I just found like a lot of my kids, they needed quick activities. So we always did a carpet activity and then we go and we rotate and it allows everyone to get involved and, and it's just fun to see and then you're working on transitions. There's definitely ways to adapt if you have students that aren't really great with transitioning. You can always readjust things. I think the thing that I'm going to point out before we get on to the next question is also we definitely 
I think there's a lot of SLPs that think, oh, well, I go into the classroom and I pull a group aside and we do small group and I'm pushing in and I'm co-teaching. And the one thing that I think is different with what you're doing, Haley, is that you're the real piece to the collaborative service is planning with the teacher. And so it is totally okay to pull a, a group of kids to the side in a small group. But if you're not really aligning it with what they're doing in the classroom, it still becomes like a skill-based push pull out type of approach. You're just doing it in the classroom. And so the fact that you guys take a little bit of extra time to really make sure that your lessons are aligning with what the kids are already talking about or learning, it creates more cohesion. And that's where the co-teaching, uh, really takes place there. I love hearing how you guys come together. And in the beginning, did you find that you had to plan more? And then as time went on, it was just a quick check-in? Yeah, I, I guess so. I feel like we spent less time as we moved on each month to a different theme. It was dependent on also the students in the classroom because in my district, there is a lot of mobility as well. So we have students that move in, students that move out. And sometimes one student can set off that mix of the classroom and you have to rethink how you're going to do things. But yeah, I would say that it got a lot easier. And sometimes there was activities that were very similar. I'll talk about it in a little bit yeah. later when we get into details. But I would, during morning meeting time, which is something that our school does every single day, every teacher has that morning meeting to bring together that classroom community, I would participate in that with them. And I used your materials that were like the, who has the snowman hat, who has the pumpkin, those different ones. And that was something that like, I didn't even ask her. She just knew that was what I was going to pull. There was something that would allow us to use each other's names and socialize with each other in the morning and build that relationship piece even more. So there were some pieces that became more, I just already was going to do them. We didn't plan, but I would say it definitely got easier as time went on. Totally. And then did you guys have a set time that you planned? Was it during after school or was it just in passing or did you have a Google doc going or at lunchtime? So unfortunately, we did not share a lunchtime, but we did have some time after school, not necessarily paid time, but as we all know, teachers and school-based SLPs are working outside of school hours all the time. But unfortunately, we would spend about an hour probably sitting together and I would bring to that time that we spent together all the different parts of the push-in lesson. And so we'd pull her materials and then look at the materials from that lesson bundle and decide what things could work together, which things were duplicated that we didn't need to use. But yeah, we use time outside of school after school typically because our school day starts at 7.15. Yeah, that's too early yeah. before school. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> okay, yeah, I just wanted to hear how you guys collaborate because that gives some people some ideas for when they can do it. And really, because you're working with, it sounds like such a supportive gen ed teacher, everything that you've learned between with working with her, you can now implement with another classroom teacher down the Absolutely. road. And so you're basically that invested time that you spent with this one teacher, you can now say, oh, approach another teacher. And because you had such a good experience with them and you took that extra time, people are going to be more open to having you come into their classroom, I think. I don't know if you agree with that, but 
Yes, I do agree. Definitely. Yeah. So I know with push-in and collaborative services, there's always roadblocks because I encounter them every year, even though I get more and more comfortable doing it. So what roadblocks have you encountered with doing co-teaching in general education? So the major roadblock for me has been time. I really would prefer to go in once a week to support, but with my current caseload needs, it really just hasn't been possible. So I settled on once a month as a support in addition to my students' weekly minutes that are served in the small group setting. So I would target their specific goals more so in my room, and then I could get a little broader with the language base and just that exposure when I was in the classroom. However, if I do feel like if I had more link students with language goals in the classroom, I would be able to use that time to meet their minutes and go in weekly. But I do have a lot of students with speech sound goals. That hasn't been as easy in terms of being able to fit it into my schedule because I do have a pretty busy schedule having kindergarten through fourth grade in a very large building. But my ultimate goal, like I said, would be to go in once a week to support that language development within each theme. Another roadblock, I would say, is that the general education teacher's willingness to even co-teach with you. I'm sure you've had that experience as well with self-contained classrooms, but I definitely started piloting it with just that one teacher because I knew that she was interested. But this past year, I will say, unfortunately, I did not necessarily use this model because my school district was going back and forth between in-person to distance learning, and it just was too much to try and flip-flop my own schedule, let alone their schedule. And we had a shortened day, but I definitely feel like moving into this next school year, we are going back fully in person, which is great. But I think that it'll be a lot easier. I think there was lots of roadblocks in the past year, of course. But my suggestion with that, the willingness for the teachers, just to start with teachers who are excited and willing to try something new, because once you have that under your belt, then you can start working to towards those teachers who might be a little more hesitant or skeptical about the process. So that's just my suggestion with it. Yeah. And I would say, I would definitely agree. Time is very difficult, especially with gen ed because, and because you can't always, not every kid is going to be in your gen ed classroom. You might have, you might be pulling three kids and they're all from different classrooms. And so to go and push into each of their classrooms is not, you don't have time to do that. And I totally agree with what you're saying about finding that person that is wanting to collaborate with you because it's way more fun in the beginning. And then you get to build your skills and your confidence so that when you do have someone that's a little bit trickier to get in the classroom with how to maybe approach it better instead of in the past, I would just make mistakes and then go, okay, that wasn't a good idea. (laughs) (laughs) It's so true though. It is. Yeah. And, or you don't even do it because you're so afraid of just the conflicts that could come up that you just avoid it. So I always, I I find someone that I like and someone that wants me around and likes talking with me and and is inquiring of our job because a lot of people just don't even know what we do. So then when you tell them, Hey, I'm going to come into the classroom, they're going, well, you're supposed to wait, what? You know, I totally can see that. And I loved your advice. So let's walk some SLPs through how you set up a planned lesson with the gen ed teacher or just a sample lesson of what you might have done in the classroom. So they get a little idea of how they can set up a push in lesson. 
Yeah, definitely. So as I mentioned a little bit earlier, the classroom teacher that I was with utilized picture books and the way that she taught was already in a language-rich way. She would choose a picture book based on their theme for that week. So for example, I'll walk you through the, one of our themes that we did, which was the snowman theme in January. And we used the Sneezy the Snowman book. And at the beginning of the week on Monday, what she did is she would complete a schema chart with the students to see what they already knew about the topic, which again was snowmen. She would do a picture walk through the book and kind of get their guesses on what they thought was happening because they weren't reading at that time on independently yet. And each day of the week, she reads and rereads the text to increase that exposure to the vocabulary and all the different aspects of the text. Then Tuesdays, her plan was to do character studies. So she'd do have students make connections with other characters, describe different character traits. And then Wednesdays is when I would join her. And so she always focused on vocabulary on Wednesdays. So it was a little easier for me to slide in on that day. She, like I said a little bit ago, that during morning meeting, we would use one of the social games provided in the push-in lessons, who has the pumpkin, snowman's hat, the gingerbread man, whatever the lesson was. And one of the tricks that she tries to use to improve student comprehension of vocabulary is making a physical action to go with the words. And so she would make a big deal out of new words and have the students use that action when they hear the word in the story. So not only increasing their exposure to it, but also making them attend to those words and making deeper connections. And then after reading the story, we would break up into small groups. And this is where I would plan the two small groups, one for myself to run, one for the teacher's aid. And for example, in the snowman theme, we did use the feed the snowman sensory bin. I don't know what it is about feeding characters, but Little kids love it. They think it's amazing. Even if they have no clue what's going into the snowman's mouth, they were so excited to just be able to do it. And so just that hands-on piece for my students is huge. And the snowman categories was another one we did. And so for that one, we used little um, red plastic cups and I used cotton balls to pretend they were like snowballs versus using ping pong balls, which I knew of the students and that classroom may have struggled with a little bit more than the cotton balls. But so we really incorporated all different aspects of the book, as well as just some extension activities for them. And then the teacher did plan her sensory center and the writing center. And then at the end of the week, when I was not in there anymore, on Thursday, she does a lot of text dependent questions and has students revisit those vocabulary words and start using them in sentences. On Fridays is when she has students do a lot of retelling. And so they work through pictures and kind of rearrange. They do a lot of verbal retelling. And then they start making connections to other books that they've read. So there's a lot of things that she did on her end because I wasn't in there daily or even weekly with them. But I think it was huge to have her kind of pulling in a lot of those language aspects daily that I wasn't able to do because I wasn't in there. Totally. And then do you feel like she, because of your collaboration, she was a little bit more mindful of some of the language pieces that she could hit a little bit harder or differently because you guys were talking and collaborating on the theme? Yes. And one thing that also is helpful for her, I think, is that I could help her scaffold in some ways that maybe she wasn't used to. So she used to do a lot of verbal retelling and 
the year that we started doing this together, there was a little boy in the classroom that had significant apraxia of speech to the point that he really was not verbal. So pictures were a way to see what students are struggling with the language aspects and what which ones are just struggling with verbalizing it. So is it that they can't sequence or they just can't tell you out loud verbally? And so I think some of the ways that I supported her on other days was providing those scaffolds that she could use that maybe she hadn't thought of on her own or that she hadn't used before. So she would sometimes come to you and say, hey, I'm doing this book. Do you have any visuals for this? And so you weren't necessarily, because I know you said you only do it once a month. So you were still collaborating and still providing that, I would say, more coaching model on the out when you weren't in there. Yeah. Yep. That's definitely how I would describe it as well. Yeah. And I would say too, that you, you, she, by you going in there once a month, she built trust in your abilities, probably figured out some things that like, oh, speech pathologists do a lot of really cool (laughs) intervention. And then once she saw that, she's now going to you as the language expert. And so that's another reason why co-teaching and doing a collaborative service can benefit your students long-term because of what Haley's been talking about just building, building trust, but building ways to showcase both their expertise. And it sounds like you did a really awesome job of just getting into the classroom and being successful with working together. And before we end the interview, I would love if you shared some, some of your top takeaways or things that you learned from doing this collaboration that could help other SLPs know what to do and what maybe not to do and so that they start off on the right foot with their staff. Yeah, for sure. So my number one takeaway would be to start small. Start with small groups and work your way up to joining for a larger portion of the session or the lesson that the teacher is teaching. And to build off of that, Start with someone who's eager to co-teach and work your way towards those who are more hesitant. Don't start with the teacher that might be the most standoffish to it because it's going to muddy your relationship with that teacher and it might make you not want to do it anymore. So I think you want to start somewhere where it's going to be exciting and fun for you, fun for the teacher, and you guys can build that relationship and build that lesson together. Third takeaway, let's see. Remember that you do get to impact not only the students with IEPs, but also the other students in the classroom. And you really can't beat that because I know that our caseload numbers are often high across the country, but now we get to dip our toes into helping in that tier one classroom level and seeing if there's any students that we need to maybe consider evaluating or just keep an eye on. And I think that's a beautiful aspect of just being in the classroom is you get to see other students. And then you get a chance to learn from the teacher as well. So take the time to observe how the teacher uses the picture books and how you can even build on that in your therapy room. So maybe you're only in the classroom once a month, but then you get to do extension activities in your classroom with those students and build on it with other students too. And last but not least, just have fun with it. Add your own twist to the activities to make them work in the classrooms at your school and just enjoy the aspect of working with another adult. Because I know when I'm in my therapy room, sometimes it's just me on my island. There's not another speech pathologist in my building daily. 
So I'm on my own little island working. But when you get to collaborate with the teacher, it's almost like you have someone to go to and bounce ideas off of as well. Yes, I think that makes it more fun than just being your own planner. We all, yeah, we plan everything. So I loved all your tips and you brought up a really great point too, about just that you get to work with other students and be a part of the RTI process of just checking in on how other students are doing in the classroom. And I think it also helps you or, and the, as a clinician to know what is, I don't want to say typical developing, but what, what is the standards and what should kids be doing? So that way, if you do see some kids that are struggling, it can be on your radar and you can get them those services if that's what's needed, or you can start the RTI process to try to boost them up before moving to an assessment. So it can really hit a lot of helpful points in that way as well. Yeah. And another thing too, is that my school in particular, there is almost a different average. So what their peers are doing may not look the same at another school, but in that classroom, they're functioning well together. So sometimes I'm like, okay, maybe you don't need my support because in this classroom, you are functioning where you should be versus maybe in a different school building or different district, they might need more supports because their peers are higher than them, if that makes sense. Yes. And so being able to see what's, yeah, just what's hap- what's expect, what's the expectations in the classroom and how are they navigating the curriculum? Because it sounds like this teacher is very comprehensive and really hits hard with the theme and doing all those great strategies for language. So that's so awesome to hear. And yeah, so thanks Haley for coming on the podcast and sharing about your expertise with doing collaborative services in the gen ed classroom. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. And I said this to you a little bit earlier, but I would be happy to answer any questions via email or Instagram. If anyone has any, um, I'm really going to be diving back in this fall to doing these lessons with, I'm hoping to do it with more than one teacher this year since I've got my feet wet and I'm a little more comfortable with the process of it. And so I'm really going to move on to other teachers and see who's interested. Yeah. So you can follow Haley at Haley Ford SLP on Instagram. It's H-A-Y-L-E-E Ford SLP. And it's all lowercase, right, Haley? Yes. Yeah. And so you can message her on there. And I, and I remember you said that this year with COVID and everything, you weren't really doing these lessons. And let me just tell you, I was on the struggle bus as well (laughs) with how to virtually do push in. I, I, and even when we started a hybrid, I was doing air quotes push in because Mm -hmm. we couldn't mix cohorts, but it was really tricky um, and it was different because I had less kids in the classroom. So all, you know, four adults with only four kids, you're going, okay. Yes. So and it's the end of the year and everyone's burnt out. So it was definitely survival mode. So I think sometimes if you're in that place where you're just feeling like it's survival mode and you're not going to be able to do the job that you want to do, it's probably better to hold off. Like you had said in the earlier mm-hmm. part of the interview, like taking it small, yeah. waiting, for that right time and it will come. Right. I agree. And do it when you're comfortable. I push myself outside my comfort zone, but you don't want to push yourself to the point of burnout. And if you're not able to meet the minutes that you have to meet, 
it is what it is at that point. And for this school year, for me, our school day, even when online or in person or hybrid, we had all three this year, it was only five hours. And so I lost two and a half hours every day to provide minutes for my students. And so for me, it just was not feasible this year, but I'm excited to jump back in next year for sure. Yeah, it's something to look forward to for sure. So everyone, remember to follow Haley at Haley Ford SLP on Instagram. And thanks again for coming on the podcast. Remember SLPs to be the SLP that every kid wants to see. Stay inspired and I'll see you next week.